Cade Hildreth, the founder of BioInformant, a stem cell industry research firm, is quoted as saying, the regenerative medicine revolution is upon us, like iron and steel to the industrial revolution, like the microchip to the tech revolution, stem cells will be the driving force of this next revolution. Stay tuned to find out how you can start using stem cells to transform your health, your life, and your longevity. So the big question is, how do women over 40 like us keep weight off, have great energy, balance our hormones and our moods, feel sexy and confident, and master midlife? If you're like most of us, you're not getting the answers you need and remain confused and pretty hopeless to ever feel like yourself again. As an OBGYN, I had to discover for myself the truth about what creates a rock-solid metabolism, lasting weight loss, and supercharged energy after 40 in order to lose 100 pounds and fix my fatigue. Now, I'm on a mission. This podcast is designed to share the natural tools you need for impactful results and to give you clarity on the answers to your midlife metabolism challenges. Join me for tangible natural strategies to crush the hormone imbalances you're facing and help you get unstuck from the sidelines of life. My name is Dr. Kieran Dunstan. Welcome to the Hormone Prescription Podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Hormone Prescription. Thank you so much for joining me today as we dive into the use of stem cells for regenerative and longevity medicine with Dr. Jeffrey Gross. This is really one of the most powerful and emerging aspects of health that is available to you now to create the health that you're wanting, the healing that you're wanting, that you might not be aware of because it's not offered everywhere and usually not covered by insurance and your regular doctor's probably not going to talk to you about it. But as I shared in the beginning, the quote, it really is one of the most powerful tools that's going to transform medicine, just like our tech field has been transformed. And there's another quote that I love that I'll share. The next age of medicine will revolve around stem cells. Just like there was the pre-internet age, there will soon be the pre-stem cell age, and it will confuse the next generation to talk about it. So although now it seems a little way out and off the beaten path, it will probably become the standard of care at some point in the future. So I know that if you're listening, you want to know everything that's available that could possibly help you create better health, live a longer and healthier life, and increase your vitality span. So I know you're going to want to hear about extending your health and longevity using stem cells and regenerative medicine. So I'll tell you a little bit about Dr. Jeffrey Gross, and then we'll get started. Dr. Gross is a board-certified neurological surgeon who identified the unique and powerful capacity of stem cells to help not only neurological problems, but to regenerate many aspects of health affected by disease. He focuses on anti-aging and regenerative medicine at his Recelebrate great clinics in California and Nevada. So we're going to dive into this episode in not only neurologic applications, but arthritic joint applications, musculoskeletal, and more. And we're going to talk about beauty applications too, which I know you're going to want to hear about. So please help me welcome Dr. Jeffrey Gross to the show. Thank you so much. I'm pleased to be here. It's an honor to join you today. Yes, I'm super excited to have you on, fellow physician, who now has gone astray just like me and really found some things that can help people, which my audience really loves hearing about because they've 
done the HMO copay doctor tango and they know it doesn't work for them. The number one question I get from people is why doesn't my doctor know what you know? Why doesn't my doctor offer me what you offer me? And they love to hear stories of doctors like you and me who were in the dark and found the light and what we know that can actually help them. So why don't we start there, Dr. Jeff, with your story from conventional medicine into what you're doing now. Great. Thank you for the opportunity. Probably a bit like yours. I was trained to be a physician, many years of training, just like you, and came from professors who trained similarly 20 years earlier, who were trained by professors similarly 20 years earlier. And there's a there's this sort of preservation of these traditional in-the-box thinking of medicine. And uh, I haven't abandoned that. What I have done is, is expand on it because probably like you as well, we're scientists and we explore and we ask questions and we want to know what's really happening and what and we have to do our own homework on that sometimes. So I was practicing traditional spine neurosurgery. I was taking care of patients mostly with neck and back problems, injuries, disc issues, pinched nerves, very, very busy practice. And I noticed that patients were telling me something. They were coming in and saying, hey, doc, I've tried all the things you've recommended. I've tried therapy. I've tried time. I've tried prayer. I've tried supplements. I've tried anti-inflammatories. I've even tried injections, but I'm still having problems. And we would talk, let's go over the surgical options. And they'd say, yeah, I'm just not quite ready. And I'd look at them and say, yeah, I think you're right. You're not quite ready. You're not bad enough. And you're in that gap, that no man's land. And then they would say, well, doc, what about lasers? And what about this? And what about stem cells? And you get hit enough time on the head with the rubber mallet and that stem cells stuck. And I finally said, you know what? Instead of going to the same old spine conferences every year and seeing, hearing the same old things reported, I'm going to go a different direction. And I started going to different meetings and different educational conferences and got interested and retrained. And now I've incorporated regenerative medicine and anti-aging medicine and all these things in my practice to expand my tool base. Great. So you could learn from a pleasure perspective. I love that. So what happened when you went to your first stem cell conference? Take everyone through that. What really piqued your interest that you said, wow, this is valid. And I need to know more about this because this could benefit my patients. I was, I'm embarrassed to say that 32 years had passed since I had my undergraduate degree in biochemistry. And I went to the meeting and it just reopened a lot that had happened in 32 years that built on this really neat background in molecular biology and what we knew about cells and how they function together. And I was so busy going down this path of clinical medicine that I had missed, I never got a newsletter on all the updates <laughs> in this and what we've learned. And so I was a little embarrassed and but it was wonderful because it reopened that curiosity and that reason why I, I chose that as my undergraduate degree in the first place. And all that had happened in stem cells and in exosomes and other regenerative biologics and that had been applied clinically, meaning for patients. So it wasn't just on a lab bench. Yeah. So let's get into stem cells. I think they're a mystery for a lot of people. And they're confused about what are the different types of stem cells, what can they be used for, 
what's FDA approved, what's not, what might they get in another country they won't get in the U.S., and also the benefits for longevity and their methods for stimulating your own stem cells. I recently learned about stem cells from endometrium and menstrual blood which is really fascinating to me. But do you want to start there just kind of talking about what are stem cells? Sure. This is, we'll do a little stem cell 101 here. And this is, let's take it back. When we were embryos inside of our mothers, we are made up of a ball of cells and those are all stem cells. And those stem cells are incredibly powerful. They start out omnipotent, meaning they can become anything. And they become further differentiated. And that's a biological word, meaning the cells start to work towards what they're going to end up being. And it's like a job assignment. You go to the vocational office, you say, assign me a job. And okay, you're going to be a liver cell. And you over there, you're going to be part of the elbow. You get a job assignment. So as the fetus develops, these omnipotent cells become pluripotent. They have less opportunities, but they're still broad opportunities. And then they become a multipotent and they get all the way down to where they can only differentiate into certain types of tissues. And those are the vast majority of what's available clinically because they're safer. They can't go backwards in the lineage and create a whole new human or even something weird. We don't want that. And you're coming from the OBGYN field. You've heard of teratomas, these very germ cell based tumors and things that can occur. So we don't want to use those dangerous cells. We don't know how to control them yet. So when we use the word stem cells, we're talking about these, they just haven't made that final job assignment. Right. And these are typically from the mesenchymal or the, the mesoderm layer of the embryo. And meaning they, they form most of the connective tissues, most of the organs. And when you tap into these stem cells, they can be very powerful. Now, as humans, we have stem cells in us. They are a bank of cells, a storehouse, if you will, of cells that our body is constantly tapping into. We renew our skin constantly. We're making new skin cells. We renew our liver cells. And if we are injured or hurt somehow, those cells can be recruited to help repair us. Think about Doc, a three-year-old scrapes his knee on the sidewalk. And you bandage, you clean it up, put some Bactine on it, put a bandage on it, give them a kiss and send them on their way, right? Three days later, that bandage comes off, but that scab is almost completely healed. But then you take, in comparison, a 70-year-old who bangs her elbow and there's a bruise for two and a half weeks. So why does the same person who healed so quickly at age three not heal the same at age 70? Why? Same genes, same bank of stem cells, Of course, our stem cells lose steam with age. They get exposed to what we learned in medical school is called vaguely inflammation, right? And inflammation is the accumulation of all this environmental damage, exposure to toxins, exposure to electromagnetic fields, what's in our diet, what's in our water, how we treated ourselves with stress or avoidance of stress. And I'm sure you've talked about this with others as it applies to hormonal function, right? The, we want to try to tend towards an anti-inflammatory lifestyle. So in any way, our stem cells don't work as well to repair and regenerate us. And that can happen at different rates. So the whole basis of the stem cell biology as a treatment is to tap back into our own youthful ability to heal. Our cells have the blueprint and the molecules and the genes to do that. That's kind of the underlying basis. Okay. 
And regenerative treatment is defined as what? Because that's really what you specialize in is regenerative treatment versus conventional medical approaches. Right. I suppose I still do a bit of both, but regenerative medicine is the new tool that I've had for about five years, which has really blossomed into many aspects of it. And maybe this is a good part to answer your question about the FDA. So as you know, and many people don't fully understand, the FDA is sort of the doctor's First Amendment police, and they decide based on their criteria what we can make claims about. And those claims usually deal with curing or treating a disease or condition. So for example, if a new medicine is being developed, they decide when we can say this medicine has been shown to to help deal with diabetes or something like that. So there has yet to be any real regenerative stem cell treatment that has been approved for claims. That doesn't mean it can't be done. The doctor and patient have a relationship and that's between them with proper informed consent. There are a couple of things that are approved, but I don't know that I consider them regenerative. And that would be a bone marrow replacement for, let's say, uh, leukemia. And this is why mothers might bank umbilical cord cells when they deliver a child. That's traditionally been an approved uh, treatment. Okay. So you're saying no FDA approved claims made indications for the use of stem cells. Well, let's be truly objective since we're scientists. There have been no approvals or denials. So they have not said we have approved, but we also have an unapproved. It hasn't yet been decided. So the lack of approval does not mean that something is unapproved and, and people don't fully, they, they tend to go only and hear the unapproved. That doesn't mean, that just means they haven't been fully vetted, these claims. You know, the, the proper full studies have not yet been okayed by the FDA. Okay. So can you talk about, though, what indications are generally agreed upon by experts in the regenerative medicine area as to what are appropriate uses that may not be FDA approved? <laughs> you should be a politician. That was fantastically worded. <laughs> <laughs> For the purposes of doing this correctly. Anything I give an opinion on today is not a treatment for an individual and is not necessarily approved by the FDA and is, is just worthy of discussion. And every individual is addressed individually. So yes, there's wonderful scientific reporting, mostly from not in the United States. We have literature out of Europe. We have literature from Asia where they are ahead of us. And you think about this, Doc, 15 to 20 years ago, professional athletes were leaving this country to get these treatments and other people, but of notoriety, it would be the athletes. Now those athletes are staying in the country because it is available here in the U.S. The source of the biologics, the stem cells or the related biologic components are here produced by, ironically, FDA compliant labs. <laughs> so, and these are typically from donors of C-section births where the placenta, the amniotic fluid, the umbilical cord are preserved instead of thrown away and sent to labs where they're under clean and sterile conditions, tested and treated. The, the main uses start with musculoskeletal issues like joint problems. In fact, some of the best research comes out of France 
And these are protocols I follow for knee pain. And if I may just keep rambling on, the, yeah. uh, the, a study in France just reported two years ago on the 15-year follow-up. So that means they've been doing this for at least 17 years as a study and probably longer. And what they did is they took patients with end-stage knee problems, ready and recommended for knee replacement. So these are conditions like bone-on-bone patients may have heard or arthritis is terms doctors use, painful knee problems that need a knee replacement. Not everybody wants an open knee replacement. It has a role, but they took these patients and said, wait, Instead of having your recommended knee replacement, join our study. And in that study, they injected bone marrow-derived stem cells from those patients. And we might circle back to that in a moment. But they took them from these patients and processed them, concentrated them, and injected them into two different areas in the knee. And over 15 years, one of the groups was significantly superior to the other group. And the group that that did well was in bone injected. So they injected the bone of the knee just above and below the cartilage. The cartilage injected group did okay initially, but then declined at each five-year mark. And it was over 80% of the bone injected group did not need that knee replacement they had been recommended 15 years earlier. In other words, those knees were saved. That's amazing. We follow that protocol and we do the bone work. And you think about it, your cartilage in your joints and in your discs of your spine is probably one of the least biologically active tissues. There are not a lot of cells. It's sort of a collection of squishy proteins and collagen. And we call this sort of the biological rubber of the body. So the real activity, the part of your body that made that cartilage in the first place when you were a fetus was the growth plate bone marrow where your most of your stem cells reside, your storehouse of stem cells. So we follow that protocol. So with data like that, 80% did not need a knee replacement and they were bone on bone, which really that's the only standard of care treatment that we have to my knowledge. Why has the FDA not given an approval? Any insight into that? I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, I'm sure there are political and economic pressures from companies that make metallic knee implants. I am sure that the FDA panels uh, that look at this have a very high threshold of studies in terms of number of participants, and they love blinded and controlled studies, meaning blinded means the doctor doesn't know and the patient doesn't know if they're getting a placebo or not. And a controlled study means there's a placebo arm. But who would want to be that in that study that might get a placebo? So it's going to be very hard to do a large population study with placebos. So we we are sort of at this, you know, difficult crossroads. Yeah, sometimes you have to follow your common sense. Anyone can tell you that the success rate of any cartilage naturally regrowing when you're bone on bone is probably zero. So do we really need that control group? That's where I sometimes wonder, when did we leave common sense by the wayside or the body of scientific knowledge and experience that we have from decades of doing medicine the way we've been doing it? And so this is the place you can be very frank and honest. So I throw uh, mainstream medicine under the bus on the regular because people just don't get it. They're scratching their heads. Why don't I 
get these options at my HMO doctor's office. And so I really help them to understand that medicine is a business and that it has its own motivations and doing lots of surgeries and procedures and prescribing lots of drugs is part of it. And so if you want something different, then you've got to make different choices and look elsewhere, which I think is a great, I was going to ask you in a little bit, but I'm going to ask you now. The second question people ask me after, why doesn't my doctor offer this is, will my insurance pay for this? So I think this is a good place to ask that. You're absolutely right. There's a little bit of a conundrum because the FDA has not approved this for claims. Your insurance has their hat to hang on that they they will not approve this. However, there's something called PRP, platelet-rich plasma, which many people can get in their a doctor's office, which is a taking your own blood and spinning it down in a centrifuge and pulling out the growth factors and the platelets and concentrating them and delivering them back to an area where there might be a strain or pain, like a tennis elbow or a knee ligament or something like that. And it is a, it's rather simple. It is, it's sort of the lowest entry level regenerative medicine item, and it is not approved for claims by the FDA, but insurances are starting to pay for it because they're starting to see that it's less expensive than a surgical pathway. So it might cost 500 to $1,000 per session. Typically, people have two to three sessions. So I think that's probably some good news in the long run towards insurance companies waking up and in, in looking at the bigger picture and avoiding bigger open surgeries if possible. There's always a role for the surgeries. I don't mean to say don't do surgery. You say, right. look at every option first. Why not try a regenerative procedure? Because I, I can tell you when I'm addressing a knee problem, it's usually two doses of biologics in the bone above and below the knee. And we do that at a little injection facility with some sedation so no one has to feel the bone injection. It doesn't take very long. Most of the work is done ahead of time, the targeting, the MRI, the testing. And we've got that down to where it's just under $10,000. And I think that's a good price when you look at the lost work time, the downtime, the complications, the co-pays you'd have just to have a knee replacement. Sure, the knee replacement might be less than $10,000 out of pocket, but there's a cost of the pain and the recovery and the physical therapy and that kind of thing. So it's not cost prohibitive for, for everyone. And for some, I understand, but not for everyone. Yes. My mother had both knees replaced and the pain she went through and just never had the same gait and walking ease. And if she could have avoided it at that time, I'm sure she, she would have in hindsight. So let's get more specific because I know people are wanting to know. So we've talked about knees. What other joint or musculoskeletal problems have stem cells been shown to help with? And then also maybe tie into there. You mentioned bone marrow as a source. What are the sources? Because some people are saying, oh my gosh, am I going to have to have my bone marrow removed to get stem cell treatment? So where are these stem cells coming from? Are they autologous from the person? Are they from somebody else? So let me work backwards. I'll start with that question and then work back to, and expand on, on the types of things we can do beyond needs. Okay. So you can have bone marrow harvested 
stem cells harvested from your own bone marrow and even other sources like fat. I don't like the fat source because those cells are typically in an inflamed environment. And the whole theme here is to work against inflammation, which works to help our body tissues function better and slow the aging process. I don't like to harvest autologous is the word you used, and that means from yourself. I prefer the perinatal sources. These are, again, the donated ethical and, and FDA-compliant labs that prepare these biologics. The biologics would be either stem cells or stem cell messengers, stem cell-derived messengers. And these are the small particles that one cell uses to communicate with other cells in our body, wake up our own stem cells, activate them. And I have been able to keep the cost of procedures down with, I believe, at least as good efficacy, if not better in some areas with these stem cell messengers. And we call those exosomes or nanoparticles. And they are basically a stem cell giving a message to other cells to behave in an anti-inflammatory, youthful, regenerative, restorative way. And that's what, we're, that's what we seek. Those come from basically what used to be medical trash. It's now medical treasure. And these are donated and <laughs> screened individuals. Unless you're in a culture that preserves the placenta for the delicacy that it may be in some areas, it, this is, you've probably delivered thousands of babies and thrown away the all this great stuff. <laughs> Am I right? Yes. Who knew? You know, that HGTV show, isn't it called Trash to Treasure? Yeah. But also I recently learned that in a lot of cultures, they actually bury the placenta to ground the energy body of the child into Mother Earth, which is a whole other conversation. So it's ethical to use it for medical procedures in, in the West, but in a lot of indigenous cultures, it probably wouldn't be. So you prefer the perinatal, and it's not just for joints, stem cells, not just for joints anymore. What are the other applications? Yeah, we get great results with joints. I would say joints are a wonderful and relatively successful application in our hands. And by joints, I'm including spine. The We don't have the long-term data on spines yet like we do for knees. Knees were sort of an easy first study because there's so many people with so knees many. and they're easy to inject in the knee area, right? It's down there. It's just asking for an injection. The spine is a little bit more interesting. You have to be cautious around nerves. And that's where I come in as a neurosurgeon. So I'm, I've been inside the spine thousands of times doing surgeries. I love doing fewer surgeries and more of these procedures. So we'll call that the musculoskeletal group. There are other things a little bit within the musculoskeletal group. One is there, there have been studies showing improvement in bone density, which is very important in someone with declining hormone levels. And as, as you and your listeners mo- must know, the bone density is associated with longevity. The better your bone density, the better your longevity. And hormones are a big part of that. Weight-bearing exercise is a big part of that, and other factors like certain supplements, vitamin D3, for example, and others. So regenerative medicine can help support bone density. There are studies on that. 
the other okay. longevity or I'm sorry to interrupt you, but where what types of stem cells are used and how are they administered? I have to look at the individual study, but you are correct. Most of the studies are either autologous harvested stem cells from that person, they're donated stem cells from a perinatal source, or they're donated stem cell messengers or exosomes from a perinatal source. Those are the three main applications that we call regenerative medicine. For bone density, how are those administered? Oh, sorry, IV. IV. Intravenously. Is anyone doing that in the United States? There are a lot of us doing that. Okay. And so, because I think there are women listening who are going to want to know, what would your criteria be for what degree of osteopenia or osteoporosis? I would say if there's any evidence for osteopenia and you want to get ahead of this, and prevent this from going to full-blown osteoporosis, and you're already doing the traditional elements, weight-bearing exercise, hormone optimization, things like this, the right supplements, it's something to look at. Osteoporosis is associated with shortened longevity, so we want to get ahead of this. And the criteria would be making sure they've tried everything else first. Now, if someone has a very focal area of osteopenia, maybe a hip issue, but the rest of their testing, because when they test for bone density, they test the hip, the spine, maybe the wrist, other areas. If we can focally treat by injection a spot area if needed. Yeah, but I've seen thousands of bone densities on thousands of women, and it's a rare person who has a spot problem. It's usually pretty global. And so how many treatments would they have of intravenous stem cells? Because I know there's some women listening who are thinking, oh, I'm going to look into that. So they, they probably want to know. We probably do one treatment and then monitor the bone density every six to 12 months and see what kind of length of benefit they got and what kind of benefit they got from it and use that as a guide. There's no signing up for, oh, you'll need this every six or 12 months. This is an mm-hmm. individualized person and we guide it for that individual. So hopefully one treatment could give you months or years, depending on how bad things are to start with, mm-hmm. uh, how good your hormone status is, your overall inflammatory burden. And we can do blood tests to look at that in detail because ultimately aging is an accumulation of this chronic inflammation and we need to not just give IV regenerative biologics, we need to look at every aspect of what's causing root cause, right? What's causing inflammatory. Yeah, let's detour and talk about that because I talk about it a lot, but you can never talk about it enough. This is the rust The inflammation is the rust that corrodes all your cells and degrades them. And this is what causes premature aging, disease, death, everything. It is the enemy. So it's vital. Every doc I know who works with stem cells requires that people reduce their inflammation if they're in a highly inflamed state. But I think it would be important to hear your perspective on that. I could not agree more. And I I've converged with using the the word rust (laughs) as you have. So I'm glad we've come together because you're right. Rust is oxidation and we are oxidizing and that's why antioxidants are good for us. So we all are in a state of inflammation. That's during the day, during the light hours, we have neurostress, we have physical stress, we have all these things and we have things in our food source and 
they cause our cells to react in a defensive manner, and that defense is chronic inflammation. At night, we repair. If we're sleeping, we're getting good sleep, restorative sleep, our bodies and our cells undergo a repair process, a DNA repair, all kinds of things. And we need to balance that by really understanding those and focusing on them. I think reducing exposure to inflammatory items is probably the easiest thing we can do. Eating a cleaner diet, for example, avoiding toxins in our environment to the extent we know they're there and we can, limiting electromagnetic waves, turning off the screens at night. And the other things we can do to reduce inflammation are lifestyle changes, like making sure we exercise, eating in the light window and not eating in the dark window, intermittent <laughs> eating, intermittent fasting. We can even supercharge the reduced inflammation by what's called hormesis. Hormesis, as, as you may have, you and your audience may know, is a slight stress upon our cells to build resilience and to clear out the senescent zombie cells that are taking up space and resources. And that might come through exercise. It might come through calorie restriction, maybe a fast for anywhere from 24 to 72 hours. It might come from hot sauna use or cold plunges. And these stimulate the body to release survival proteins, which help reduce inflammation. These are the kind of proteins we find in stem cells and stem cell messengers. So ultimately, the regenerative medicine is sort of a hack or a biohack to slow inflammation. And as it slows and reduces and reverses inflammation at the cellular level, it's reducing aging at the cellular level. And you see many ads on social media that our product reduces inflammation at the cellular level. That's how we're going to reduce our, slow our aging. We have to do it at the cellular level. And everybody stay tuned because Dr. Jeff does have a gift for you at the end of the show that's going to uh, help some things that you can do to help reduce your inflammation so you don't want to miss that. All right, let's jump back. We were going through the indications and treatments. We talked about knees, spine. We talked about osteoporosis, osteopenia, bone thinning. What other indications are there? We have, we've treated with IV many things. So we have patients who have come to us with declining kidney function and whether that's related to too much sugar in the life over your life and diabetic changes, acquired type two diabetes, whether it's related to high blood pressure that hasn't been adequately controlled or even other items, what happens is the blood test called creatinine starts to go up because your kidneys can't remove that amount of protein from the body. And we have seen declining, improving creatinine levels in patients who showed progressive problems with the kidney function, who wanted to avoid dialysis. So we've had a couple patients specifically, and we've only had to do one IV on each of those patients where their creatinine's improved, and we're just watching their blood test with the creatinine. And people come in and say, I've had so much other benefits from that. I think better, more clearly. I have more energy. I sleep more soundly. We get all these uh, beneficial side effects from the IV. Just I wanted to add something there. Just as you're talking, it makes perfect sense. And I'm sitting here thinking, why don't we give them to everyone intravenously? Because just the three-year-old boy who falls and scrapes his knee, all you have to do is protect it from infection and getting scraped again. And then the stem cells, 
the messages throughout the body say, send stem cells to this cut and fix it. It tells what to do. And so that example you gave is beautiful about the kidneys and declining kidney function. You give the stem cells intravenously, they know where to go and they know what to do. <laughs> and they know to fix the problem. So why aren't we giving it? Do some people just say, I want general longevity. And I know you're going to talk a little bit about that. And I want to heal whatever's broken that I don't know about. And you just give them intravenous <laughs> stem cells. <laughs> I don't want to give the idea that stem cells fix everything. Right. <laughs> I, I, I think they try. It, it, this is not a cure-all, but we love to add it when we can as an alternative or an additional item to help repair or recover. In medicine, we call that an adjunct therapy, right? So this is an add-on treatment. For example, we see patients who are recovering from heart attack, and we show improved cardiac function from IV regenerative biologics. We see patients recovering from stroke or have suffered what's called traumatic brain injury. It used to be called chronic concussive syndrome. And these people have lingering effects of brain injury, maybe from an accident or something. And we have shown some benefits there. And there are some studies published on this. Now, it should be known that the stem cells do not readily cross the blood-brain barrier when they're delivered IV. So the benefits we're actually seeing are more with the stem cell messengers, the stem cell-derived exosomes I mentioned to you earlier, because they are so small, Remember, they're called nanoparticles for a reason. They're very small. They cross the blood-brain barrier and stimulate the glial cells in, uh, that support our brain cells. And you spoke earlier about other types of stem cells like endometrial base and things like this. There is wonderful work in more specialized types of stem cells. Right now, we do not use anything that's manipulated. So these are off the shelf, straight from the womb, tested, screened, and filtered biologics because the FDA is pretty clear that they don't want us using anything manipulated, cells that have been conjured or cajoled into doing something very specific. That is the mm -hmm. next quantum leap in regenerative medicine, very specifically targeting stem cells and their messengers engineered for a specific thing, like helping to repair the islet cells in the pancreas in the case of type mm. 2 diabetes, for example. And again, most of these diseases of aging are diseases of inflammation and vice versa. Coronary artery clogging, atherosclerosis, has an inflammatory component. Alzheimer's disease has an inflammatory component. If you look at the tissue under a microscope, even type 2 diabetes, you look at the pancreas, it has a, an inflammatory component. We're really simply just reducing inflammatory exposure and effect. And that leads me to mention autoimmune because this is where a lot of hormones get affected. And as you and your audience knows, autoimmune means the body is, is having a revved up attack on it part of itself for reasons unclear, but it's a hyperinflammation state. Let's list a few of those. Rheumatoid arthritis, Hashimoto's thyroiditis. There are other autoimmune diseases. And if you do inflammatory blood tests, you'll see the inflammation system is in high gear. We're not sure always why that is, but it is. Some infections are known for their hyperinflammation. Lyme's disease is one. I know you've had guests on before about Lyme's disease. And another well-known one that is known for inflammation is COVID-19. It's a very inflammatory virus. And a lot of these long COVID syndromes do have 
significant continued hyperinflammatory states involved. So we are seeing that these types of problems respond well to suppressing and controlling we use the word immunomodulating the inflammation system, where the regenerative biologics do work towards declining those problems and those symptoms. Okay. Wow. Such great information. I would be remiss if I didn't ask, because I know people are wanting to know about vampire facelift and beauty applications. Would you <laughs> like to talk about that? I would. This is probably a little bit on the more fun end of things we do. Um, and most of the people we see have a problem and we want to help them with a the problem. But we also have enjoyed helping people want to not only feel better and, and be healthier, but feel better about looking better. So there are currently two cosmetic procedures that we have. And one is, and as your audience knows, a vampire facial is PRP. And we talked about PRP earlier for joints where you can draw your, uh, have your blood drawn from your own veins, spun in a centrifuge and pull out the growth factors and the platelets and inject them into the face. So it gives more growth factors to the face to help tighten the collagen. I like to skip over that and go to the high octane stuff. And that's to use the wide draw of the blood. When you change the oil in your car, you don't put the old oil back in it. So we use the, the stem cell biologics and micro-inject the face to stimulate the epidermal cells, dermal cells rather, to stimulate, make more collagen, more elastin, get some tightening and youthful radiant glow because of the improvement in the cells. I think you might notice this as an OBGYN in your pregnant patients. They Don't they often say, oh, my skin is so good while they're pregnant because they're getting all these youthful growth factors from the womb circulating in the maternal bloodstream. <laughs> they're you, getting a... Yeah. They're getting a the dose. Pregnant radiance is real. You can look at a pregnant woman and, and see that their hormones are really on point and their stem cells. And how about hair regrowth? Yeah. You're also using it for that. That was the other one. And I am I'm also a recipient of that. <laughs> so are uh, you? We, we do the same thing. I've had I had a bald spot and I've had three scalp injections, and it's because of the lighting and things, you probably can't see it, but I'll do some social media posts with some befores and afters, and it's, I've been able to help people with thinning, thinning hair. You have to have follicles. You have to have some hair. I can't take a bald person and, and with, right. with the current state of things. Now, when we talk about the future of the going backwards in the lineage of stem cells, there are some things coming down the pike, and I have some colleagues and friends working on that. But right now, this is for people who do have some follicles. And I'm sure your audience knows when your hormones start to decline, that's, and you have in, long-standing inflammation, you, the follicles are sensitive. They, that's like when someone is stressed and they lose hair. It's because the inflammation in their body from the neuro is seen in the areas of symptom where they become symptomatic. That might be psoriasis, where they have dry skin. It might be in the scalp with the follicles. It might be in other areas. We have patients with dry eye syndrome who maybe have had LASIK procedures and we've injected, we talk about glands, we inject the meibomian glands in the eyelids to help improve the glandular function and have had some limited benefit there and we're still figuring out uh, how to do that best. Okay. 
Before we wrap up, we must talk about longevity. And then I know you've got that gift for them that's going to help them to know some things that they can start doing now to help with anti-aging. But what does the data look like and treatments to increase longevity with stem cells? We don't have enough long-term data to answer that scientifically, but we do have something called biological age tests. And I think it'd be important to mention this. There are a few different kinds on the market, but basically it's a test that looks at either the markers in the bloodstream and or markers inside the cell. The bloodstream, of course, is outside the cell. And these markers are associated with certain age groups. So we can do a blood test and estimate the biological age of someone as opposed to your calendar age. Because I know at my last birthday, I turned 58, but I can do a biological age test and it has a different number. And you can make lifestyle changes or do things and that number adjusts. You can affect your own rate of aging by taking your own anti-aging journey and doing things about it. And we have some studies that show improvement in the in these biological age tests with the use of IV regenerative biologics. So at least at the cellular level, which is where mm-hmm. aging really does happen, there is scientific evidence to show reduced inflammatory markers and age-related markers. And I know people are wondering, what's that test and where can I get it? It has to be ordered by a doctor like me. And I do a lot of Zoom consultations. So if anyone in your audience is listening, this is an additional holiday gift. Is if, if they call and mention your name, I'll do an introductory Zoom or phone. I prefer Zoom, but phone consultation, and we can go over their aging status and see where they are and see if we can make some tweaks in many different areas and talk about the biological age tests. I'm happy to do that. But you have to mention your name, and they heard us here. Okay. So Merry Christmas to you, listener. (laughs) (laughs) You can call Dr. Jeff's office, mention you heard him on Dr. Kieran's podcast, and you can get some one-on-one time with Dr. Jeff and find out more about your health. I think that's a great place to end. It sounds, this is such a wonderful topic. It's such, uh, I guess it's kind of the wild west of medicine, but I think it is the future of medicine in many ways. So I think it's very valuable information. Thank you so much for sharing it. You have this wonderful gift that you're giving everyone to help them understand some things that they can start doing now for their health. We'll have the link in the show notes. Do you want to tell them about what that is and then also all the places they can find you online? Thank you so much. Yes, if you go to the, I forget the word the, youngagainmethod.com slash longevity. There's a a free guide on some of the anti-aging supplements you should start or if you're not already on. And if you do schedule some time to meet with me, we can expand on that for you as well as customize it for the individual. Please follow us at Recelebrate is the name of the business. R-E-C-E-L-E-B-R-A-T-E. That's our website, that's our Instagram, that's our TikTok, that's our YouTube. We have lots of fun stuff. Follow us and send me a comment on Instagram. If you're on Facebook also, send me a comment and say hi and introduce yourself. We like to meet new people all the time. 
Awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Jeff, for your brave journey. It is always a brave journey for any physician to go off the beaten path of what we're taught and to do something innovative and new and courageous. So thank you for saying yes to that because you're going to help a lot of people. I know you already are. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate you sharing your journey and expertise with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It was my pleasure and honor. And thank you for joining me for another episode of the Hormone Prescription. Stem cells are super exciting. The indications are growing. Access is growing and availability. So I know you learned something that's going to inspire you today. I look forward to knowing what that is. Reach out to me on social media and let me know. And if you want to take Dr. Jeff up on his very generous holiday offer, please do so. We will have all the links in the show notes to his free gift and to how you can reach out to him and contact him. Until next week, peace, love, and hormones, y'all. Thank you so much for listening. I know that incredible vitality occurs for women over 40 when we learn to speak hormone and balance these vital regulators to create the health and the life that we deserve. If you're enjoying this podcast, I'd love it if you'd give me a review and subscribe. It really does help this podcast out so much. You can visit thehormoneprescription.com where we have some free gifts for you. And you can sign up to have a hormone evaluation with me on the podcast to gain clarity into your personal situation. Until next time, remember, take small steps each day to balance your hormones and watch the wonderful changes in your health that begin to unfold for you. Talk to you soon.